This week we're expanding on a concept that we had talked about a few weeks ago about investing in people and why does the Bible emphasize so much hospitality, which is building relational lines ultimately to, to reach people with the things that mean the most to you, which is core beliefs about Jesus and what he's done for us. The sermon was originally recorded at Castle Rock Middle School, June 28th, 2015. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Uh, not too long ago, we just finished up a series, uh, Me, a Missionary, and then we had Father's Day. And today we're going to be talking about investing in people because that was part of that. So as we talked about uh, being a missionary, there's th- the three eyes of being a missionary. Do you remember the three eyes of being a missionary? We had uh, invest. This is the one that most people gave me the comments on. Um, invite and then evangelize. It's just way easier to remember if you spell it incorrectly. That's how they spell it in Russia. It's the evangelize. That's how they do it. So the, the three eyes of evangelism, the one that I got the most comment back, the most feedback was, was talking about investing in people. We said, okay, there's kind of a rule of thumb. You always invest in people. You always, no matter what, you invest in people. Often we get a chance to invite them, and sometimes you evangelize. So that's not, sometimes you have to bring the church to the person because the person is not going to come to your church. Uh, maybe it's because like some expert like me had messed things up and they just have no interest and you say, okay, let me tell you about my Jesus. You don't have to go there. I'm going to tell you about it. That's evangelize. So today we're talking uh, about investing and investing in people specifically. And, and the reason is, um, if you look around across the board of things, chances are that there is some kind of bridge between, okay, here's person, and here's a relationship with Jesus. There's a person who's in that bridge. Is that the experience in your own life? There's someone who is, was involved in that. Maybe it's your parents, uh, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a coworker. There's a person in that bridge, and that's really good. It's good that there's someone who's involved, I think, to help you in your journey as you get uh, got a relationship with Jesus. You got someone who's praying for you. You got someone who's encouraging you. You got someone who thinks about it. Uh, someone that maybe takes you to church with you. Someone, if you haven't been there for a while, calls you up. This is the case, and you're saying this is really good. Um, the Bible even says that. Look in Ecclesiastes. It says that two people better than one. You fall down, one can pick you up. Uh, two people are almost always better than one. Correct? Unless, like, you're in an elevator, right? That, that would be, or a coffin. That would be the other, I mean, a bad situation. Um, where Ideally, you know, one person is good, especially if you're not the person in the coffin. But so two people are always better than one because you can kind of encourage each other. What is the downside, though, that, that there's a person between, uh, like, it's a bridge between you and God? Why is, what's the downside to that? Well, people can fail. If you read the news and you read Christian news, there's a, an article that just came out that's announcing that Tullian Trevidian, has anyone ever heard that name? Okay, this is a big name, and um, he took over for D. James Kennedy. Has anyone ever heard of D. James Kennedy? He was a famous preacher. Okay, yeah, he's famous. If you know famous preachers, if you know just me, you don't know famous preachers, but he was famous. He went into Fort Lauderdale, and he took over 2009. He has 100,000 Twitter followers and just recently had an affair, that, so he had to resign from the ministry. I find it hard to believe that a person that would have that kind of influence and be a bridge probably to so many people, do you think that affects their view of God and religion and Jesus? Um, 
that's the problem when you've when you got a bridge with people because people fail. What, what would you do if the person, uh, this is really hard for people who um, became a believer at like a really um, extraordinary church. You know, you've been to churches. Some are really great, some are okay. And you've been at an extraordinary church and then they move and they go to another church and it never quite feels the same way. Or it could be for someone who um, there maybe had an extraordinary pastor and he was really unique in the way that he explained things and everything made sense and then they move and they go to a different church and it's like, you know, it's just not quite the same. It doesn't feel like I can get Jesus the same way I got from this person. Or what if your friend, what if your friend is like Tullian and has a moral failure and then this was your bridge to God? Or what happens if that person moves away? Or what happens if that person falls away from the faith. And then here you are, kind of alone on this island. It would be fantastic, I think, if once you connect to God and you learn about Jesus' forgiveness and his love and his mercy, that person would just melt away. That's how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit changes hearts. But 90% of people, physically, 90% of people end up in a church because someone invited them, 90%. So just look around, nine out of 10 of these people is because of some family, some money reached out to them and built a relationship. I think this is the reason why the Bible so emphasizes relationships in the Bible and building these relationships and requirements. So that's what we're going to be looking at today as we talk about investing in people. Here's the problem though. When you invest in people, is it, how many of you enjoy investing in people? Yeah, this is good. Yeah, it's good to invest and enjoy and, and hang out with people. Um, but whenever you invest in someone, that costs you something. Like if you want to invest in your kid's uh, baseball career, that's going to cost you time and money. If you want to invest in um, just a business, that's going to cost you time and money. You want to invest in your marriage, it's cost you time and money. If you want to invest in just about anything, it's going to cost you something. So, it's really easy to invest in people if it doesn't cost anything, right? If you, someone came and said, I have this fantastic business proposition for you, it's going to be amazing, it's called Apple, and you say, how much does it cost? And they say, nothing. I just want to sign you up on the bottom of this pyramid scheme. No, so, they, right, it costs money, right? And otherwise, you wouldn't wonder. And so the Bible is saying that there's a major emphasis in the Bible to say that it is worthwhile to invest in people. Now, some of these relationships um, take more effort than others, so we'll just start with cats. Like if you've got a, how many of you have a cat? Okay, cats I think are a little more difficult, right? You look at a cat and what kind of, what does the cat look at when you like give him a treat? The cat gives you the eyes that says, I am using you, right? That's what the cat does, right? But other relationships are way easier, right? If you've got a dog, we're watching our friend's dogs. Um, we go in, we give him a treat. The dogs love us. We're like best friends. Have you seen where they put the... Um, like they put a voice, I think I saw it on YouTube or something, or it was on Up the Movie, where they put like what the dog is actually saying, and like they just love it. You know, they, this is the favorite thing ever. They're like, oh, balls, I love, that's my favorite thing in the world. And then they throw the ball, and then they give them a treat, and they're like, treats, treats are my favorite thing in the world. Want to go for a car ride? Car rides are my favorite thing in the world. So dogs are really easy. Kids are easy too. You got like a niece or a nephew, what's the secret to getting your niece and nephew to like you? Take them for ice cream. I mean, that's about, I mean, that's, you just take them for an ice cream cone. You're their favorite niece, your aunt or uncle. That's all it works. And, you know, guys are just big kids, right? It's just, it's not ice cream cones, but it's like barbecue. You know, like, hey, you want to come over for barbecue? I love barbecue. That's my favorite thing in the world. Like, yeah. Hey, do you want to go fly fishing? I love fly fishing. That's my favorite thing in the world. Ladies, um, that's not going to comment. Um, 
But each of these relationships, though, take a little bit of effort. So as you look around trying to build these relationships, it takes effort. I think one of the cooler stories, as we read, uh, talking about someone who says, I am willing to take the cost to build a relationship is Nehemiah. So I'll give you a little bit of background. It's really short, and then we'll kind of get to what we're talking about. So Nehemiah is a governor in uh, Persia. So I don't have a map, so you're going to just have to pretend. So here's Israel, here's the desert, and Persia's over here, like modern-day Iraq. So he is over there. Artaxerxes is the king, and he finds out in Jerusalem, where he is from, the walls have been just like smashed, the temple's a mess. So he gets permission from Artaxerxes. He says, hey, can I go back and fix this stuff up? And he's a cupbearer and in the king's presence. So we assume he's like a eunuch. So he's a high-pointed official, kind of like a king's right-hand man. He says, yeah, go ahead. So he goes all the way back. And the story, if you have time to read Nehemiah, is like a, a story of a miracle because he, he pumps the people up. This is like he gets the people rallied around to build the walls of Jerusalem in 50 days, like 52 days. They build the whole thing. And you read the story, and it says they have like a weapon in one hand, and they have to like work with the other because none of the neighboring towns like them, A, and B, want them to succeed. So if like we were going to redo Castle Rock and like Franktown and Sedalia and Larkspur and Lone Tree, they're all like, they're like trying to get at us. That's exactly what happened. They're making fun of them, it says in Nehemiah, but they said, you know what, we're going to do this for the Lord. So they build that up. He works in conjunction with another person who's reasonably famous named Ezra. So not the band that has the same name, but better than Ezra. So this is um, Ezra, and Ezra is working, he, Nehemiah is like on the, the political end, and Ezra was a priest, and Ezra said, listen, our worship stuff's a mess. We've got to fix this. So Ezra comes in and starts pulling out the law of Moses and getting the people to say, yes, we are going to follow the law of Moses again. Uh, we're not going to marry foreign wives. Like, we're not, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to get it kind of on the straight and narrow. Well, Nehemiah helped build these walls. In the midst of this, Nehemiah's goal was to kind of transform this city so that it was a mess. And he says, we've got to get this built around what's important. So for 12 years, he works at that. But this is the end of the reading that we had. He says, furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate around my table. Can you, can you imagine what kind of table that? That is either like a humongous table or those are tiny, tiny people. So those are two options. But I, my assumption is that it's a humongous table because this is how much food they ate. He says, each day we had one ox. And how much does a cow cost? Did people buy cows? I'm guessing like 2,000 bucks. That's a guess. Okay, so like he buys one ox, six sheep, and a choice sheep. So it's apparently a nice sheep. I don't know what those cost, three or four hundred dollars. That's a guess. I'm not going to look in case I'm way off and someone, they're appalled that I don't know this. And then some poultry. So KFC is not that expensive. So that's, that, that rounds it off. But if you have $2,000 and you're talking like $300 for six sheep, we're at almost $4,000. And then um, Costco chickens are $4.95. So then we get like 10 of those. That's another 50 bucks. So we're at 2,050 bucks. And then every 10 day, he has an abundant supply of wine. So even if you go to and get like two buck chuck at, you know, Trader Joe's, this still costs, it says an abundant supply. We're not talking about a little bit of effort. In spite of all this, and this is what he gets to, to the people who were taxed, he says to transform the city, I could have taxed you. I could have made you pay for it. Can you imagine um, our president of the United States having to pay for a banquet? Do you think he pays for that? 
Like he throws a party? No. No, he just shows up. They've got chefs. They got, actually, we pay for it. We could figure out how much of each meal that we pay for. Um, so we pay for a meal. We pay for the chef. We pay for the people to clean it up. That, and that's, that's fine, right? Is anyone complaining? I mean, it, I mean, I don't. I think that's part of being a dignitary. If I got governor, that's why I would want to be governor. One is to have nice hair, because that's required to be a politician. And two is so you can have these banquets. No one is complaining because of this great expense. So Nehemiah is in that same position. He is governor. And he says, you know what? Things were so hard on you, I took the loss. He says, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on the people. In other words, who pays for it? He says, I pay for it. Because I think this is important. The Bible, this is just a story, but the Bible talks again and again and again about hospitality. And it's not just for like Martha Stewart types, and it's not just people who really like, you know, kind of putting on a show. The Bible is saying that all Christians are to be hospitable in their lifestyle. You probably know people like this. You ever go to someone who throws like awesome parties? No, no. Okay, so I got a friend who has, um, now I took the dialect thing for the New York Times. The New York Times says that um, it has this dialect test. Has anyone done this that tells you what part of the country you're from? I am from Minneapolis, apparently, or Milwaukee. So it got it pretty correct. And it asks you how you pronounce certain words. So when I say these words, if you're Paul, that means you're probably not from Minneapolis or Minnesota. So he had a crawfish boil, which I learned to say, because we always said crayfish in Wisconsin. That's how we, we, they're called crayfish where I'm from. So he had a crayfish boil. And then in, did you say kitty corner or catacorner? Kitty, yeah, that's Wisconsin, so that's how we say it. And then apparently, you know, I meet other people from in the country. They say catacorn here, and I don't even know what that, there's no such thing as a caddy. So kitties, we got kitties all over the place. They use us for treats. So, um, so my friend throws this big uh, crawfish boil, and he has 120 pounds of crawfish. He boils it up himself. He goes to pick them up from the airport. And then he brings them to his house, and they have these big 20-gallon, 25-gallon tubs, I think they are. And he boils them up, and he seasons it, and he throws it, he rents a bounce house. I'm thinking, this is like a $1,000 party. How much does he charge to get in? He doesn't. Because he says, I, wanna, I think people are worth the investment to have in my house. Nehemiah said, people are worth the investment to have in my home. I want to welcome them. Anecdotally, it says in Scripture, the verse we picked, Here's what you need to be a pastor. Here's a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now, an overseer or pastor is to be above reproach, faithful to his spouse, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. I, I don't think we hear a lot of sermons about hospitality. I mean, it sounds like a Disney theme more than like a sermon from the Bible. But when you read in Scripture, this is essential. I went to a tax seminar. Sounds pretty exciting, right? So I go to a clergy tax seminar. It's getting more exciting. So hanging out with pastors, the most fun thing in the world, learning about taxes. Like, this is, this is euphoric. It's so awesome. So we're in the tax seminar, and they start telling us um, about, I won't say tax loophole, but I, I always had just standard deductions. Now you're learning about my taxes. Now, I'm making you do that. You're hanging out with a pastor and learning about taxes. So 
I always do standard deduction, no problem, but this year I think, I think I actually have to do, I list all the stuff, I never make it. This year I'm going to have more deductions than the standard deduction. So this is, this is a, I'm 39 years old, some of you probably ran into it at like 25 or something, but I'm now at that point. And they said something you should know, when you entertain people, if someone comes to your house, you can write this as a tax deduction in an entertainment category. And they're saying not if you pay for their golf, but if you just go golfing. I don't golf. So I gotta find sports that cost money. More money. What if I, can I ride off my bike? No, <laughs> my wife? Okay, so I didn't ask him that, but I'll, I'll write that in. So essentially you can, and um, anytime you do anything with anyone, if you would come over to my house and have lemonade, I can write on a calendar $3 for lemonade. Didn't, I didn't know this. So this is like a mind-opening thing for me. And I thought, this seems like, is it actually worth the work? And this was the guy's comment. He said, the churches, just on paper, they do taxes for clergy around the whole country. The churches that are growing have pastors that use this. And they say they can determine if a church is growing just by seeing if a pastor utilizes, is it's, uh, I should say it this way, if the church is a relational church. So apparently, there's pastors all around the country who don't have people into their house, that don't open up their home, that aren't being with people. Instead, they see it a little bit differently. That's anecdotal. This is not God's word. And I'm not saying if you love Jesus, you throw great parties. If you love Jesus, you invite your pastor to great parties. That's what it's saying. They, but it is saying that there's something to building relationships with people. And, and it would be cool if I was in your position just to say, okay, my pastor should do that, right? That would be ideal. Like, there's a lot of things in the Bible that I wish he would just say. Um, but if you look at this list, and the list goes on, and it's listed in other places, if you look at this list, how many things are required of you and how many are required of just me? So if you look at a reading, it would say, like, um, above reproach. Are you required to be above reproach? No, there's no place in the Bible where it says, like, and normal people can just be a dirtbag. It doesn't say that. Faithful to his spouse, is that a requirement of all Christians? Is it required for all Christians to be temperate and self-controlled and respectable and not drunks? Absolutely. The only single item on this whole list that is required just of pastors is to be able to teach. Everything else. So what happens, though, is you're going to open up the Bible and you can Google like hospitality, and you're going to see in the book of Romans, practice hospitality. You'll see in the book of James, practice hospitality. You're going to see in the book of Peter, open up your home. You're going to see like be night and Hebrews where it talks about opening your home to strangers because they might be angels. So in short, the whole congregation is asked to open up their home to be nice to people. There's a history of this that I think is really fascinating. If you go back to like the beginning of time, like we're going to roll all the way back to like Adam and Eve in the garden. You have this perfect unity with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they say, we want to invite man into our world. They didn't have to. They said, we want to invite man into our world. We're going to have communion, in a sense, with a human being. It says, and, and Adam walked with God, and God walked with Adam. There they are. Like the, and then the devil shows up. And the devil says, hey, I want to invite you to my party. I want to share a meal with you. Adam and Eve say, hey, that sounds like a great idea. And with that, they bring sin into the world that changes this whole dynamic. 
that changes who they are. And instead of this great relationship, instead of being able to eat with God forever, this now is broken. But God makes a promise. He says, I'm going to send my son, the second person of the Trinity, from this union that we have, and we're going to break this union up, in a sense, and send the son to the planet to walk in your place, to live in your place, to walk in your place, and die in your place so that you can be restored. And he comes. What kind of things does Jesus do when he's here? If you're saying, like, do we have a relational God or do we have a God who stands way far back? Jesus walks on this planet. How does he, his first miracle is what? A wedding where they're having a meal. And then he walks and he moves and he, he goes to sinner's houses like Zacchaeus's. He goes to another sinner's house, Matthew, who's a tax collector. And remember, everyone is like, why would you go there? Why would you hang out with these sinners? Because people matter to Jesus. And he has a meal with his friends, Mary and Martha. He has a meal with his disciples where he says, take and eat, this is my body. This is my blood for the forgiveness of sins. And when he rises, you know, he dies and he rises for your sins and my sins. What's the first thing he does? He goes on Emmaus and he has a meal with his friends. And then he goes and he appears and he eats fish to prove that he is Jesus. And then all this is a picture of what? Adam and Eve had a meal that ruined everything, that destroyed our communion with God. And now we see what Jesus has done is restored it. And it says in heaven, we have, a new, we have a new heaven and a new earth, a home of righteousness where we have a feast that never ends. As I told the kids in Isaiah, there's choice wine in high sea. And there's, you know, the, the food that is perfect. And here, you're not just hanging out like in a diaper singing. Instead, we have this feast where we actually get to be with God because of what he's done. What does this mean as you, you, you take off? Um, opening your home. There's a lot of things you can do as a bridge to people in relations. You can pray for people. You can encourage people. But there's something about opening your home that says, come be part of my life. It takes vulnerability to open your house. You, know, you can't just, in, it takes something to say, I'm going to let you into my world. Because not every one of those relationships is worked out. It takes effort to open yourself up to say, hey, will you be a friend to me because we've all been burned by friends, right? It takes effort to open up and invest in a relationship like your marriage and some sin has come in and pulled those relationships apart. It takes effort to say, I'm going to invest in people because people matter. We live in a society, and we could talk a long time, where this is kind of done. You know, every, people are on the phones, they're on Facebook. I don't see a lot of people opening up their house to say, come hang out with me. My sister, um, so we would be doing text message. I said to her once, um, oh yeah, I was going to stop by my friend's house. And she says, and it, she, for some reason she asked, like, you didn't call? I'm like, well, no, it's my friend. Like, that's what you do, right? And she says, oh, no. No, you have to call before you show up at my house. My sister even said that to me which for very reason I will never call anymore. I'm going to just like bang on her bedroom window <laughs> and say, but there is something to that. I mean, you, there's something to say. I want you to just peek into my world and see why does it matter? Because the gospel goes along relational lines. Because in God in his wisdom doesn't say, I'm going to come directly to people, but God says, here is you, here is me, and there's going to be someone put in the middle. It may be God in his wisdom, through something as silly as having people over and being a host and sitting at your dinner table and opening up your world 
and, and investing in people, God will allow you to be that bridge for somebody. God, I'll be you the one who allows you to say, here's what my Jesus means to me. Always invest. Sometimes you get to invite. And sometimes at that dinner table, you get to evangelize with an E and say, this is who my Jesus is. Do we always want to do it? No. A lot of times you just want to do nothing. A lot of times you want to just think about yourself. But God, who is so invested in us, I hope that he has so filled you up that you want to pour out and reach to the people in your neighborhoods. Nehemiah wanted to change a community. He didn't do it by saying, come to the temple to change, although um, the community, to be honest, isn't going to be changed by my preaching. We don't have the whole community here. I think a community is changed when you reach out to them, you let them into your world, and then let the Holy Spirit do the real work, the heavy lifting of changing hearts and changing lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, we pray that as we see your hospitality and, and that you came to our world Um, You made things. You took the loss so that we could be with you, that we could communion with you. We could have your true body and blood at just a foretaste of the true picture of a heavenly feast that we soon will enjoy. Um, Help us to open our homes um, and take the loss ourselves, not because we're selfish or greedy. Let's push those uh, thoughts aside, but people matter. So help us to invest our time and our effort to open homes, open our hearts, to build relationships, to ultimately connect people to you. Amen.